At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We kick off 2024 here together. Uh, We're going to be engaging in a series called The Wise of Worship. The next several Sundays, we're going to be looking at the wise of worship. Really, throughout 2024, we're going to be talking about worship in our sermons on Sundays at Wildwood. We're going to have a series down the road from the Psalms, a number of other important passages from the Old Testament we're going to look at regarding worship, um, as well as what Jesus is doing in building his church. We have a, a lot of great scripture to look at in 2024 together. But we're going to begin by looking at the whys of worship. Why do we gather? Why do we do what we do when we gather here on Sundays? We're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. Now, I was thinking about this topic in preparation for this morning, and I actually uh, flew on an airplane. And so I was thinking about this while I was getting on the plane. And when I was getting on the plane, I noticed some really interesting things. I I showed up at the airport, and everybody seemed to know the drill. At a certain point, before the plane takes off, we had to take everything out of our pockets and place it on a conveyor belt. We took out our phone, our keys, our wallets. We took off our belts. We took off our shoes. And we we walked through these little passageways. And then we got on the plane and we turned off everything before the plane turned on so that we might be able to take off and get there. Now, what's interesting is, though these are somewhat peculiar public behaviors, everybody was doing it. I mean, there wasn't a lot of instruction given. People just did it. Now, why did we take the bottles of liquid out of our bags? And, and, and why did we turn our cell phone off before we took off? Well, some of us know why. And if we, we know why, then we're more encouraged to actually adhere to and, and keep in line with those behaviors. But if we don't know why they're asking us to do those things, it just seems strange. I mean, let's be honest. Not often do we go to a public place and take off our shoes. Imagine going to a restaurant and taking off your shoes before you walk through the threshold to enter the dining room. That would be a little weird. But on a plane, we just go with it. Why? Well, because there is a why for this behavior. It hasn't always been that way, but there are reasons why we do things now. Now, I was thinking about that against uh, what we do on Sundays here at Wildwood. You know, as we gather here, there are a bunch of you who gather here on Sundays, and you walk in and we do a bunch of things. I mean, think about it. We, we, We gather on a Sunday morning with people that we may not know very well. And not only do we gather with people on a Sunday morning, but but we come in here and then we sing songs for like 20 minutes with people we don't know. When do you do that any other time in your life? Do you just get together with random people and sing? I mean, I don't. Maybe you do. If you do, let me know. I'd love to come join you sometime. That sounds fascinating. But we do that here. We just gather and we begin to sing. We open up a book that's that's 2,000 years old, at least 3,000 in parts. And we read it, and we understand that it has implications for our contemporary life. Why do we do these things? We, somebody will stand up and begin to pray, and we all look down at our, our shoes or our feet. Why, why do we do these things? Why do we worship? Well, friends, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. We're going to talk about why we gather, why we sing, why we 
participate in baptism and communion, why we, we pray, why we give an offering, why we open the Word and listen to sermons. We're going to be talking about that over the next number of weeks, and I, I hope you stay with us on this journey as we learn the whys of worship. Today, we're going to kick this series off by talking about why we gather. Why do we gather at all? What's the importance and the significance of just setting aside this time on weekends? We're going to be talking about today that today by looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. So if you've got a Bible, take it and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read these verses for us, and then after reading them, I'll back up and make a couple of observations today as we connect these truths to our lives. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, the author writes and says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, friends, in these six verses, I want us to see two things that talk about why we gather, the, the importance, the priority of gathering together with God's people for worship. We're going to see that today. Well, so what are those two things? The first thing I want us to see is found really in verses 19 through 23. And that is that we gather to draw near and to hold fast to Jesus. To draw near and to hold fast to Jesus. This is why we gather. See, the, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to us to encourage us to continue to gather. We'll see that in a moment. But he begins his discussion about gathering, not with gathering, but with Jesus himself. We gather around him to declare his worth and his greatness. So who is Jesus and, and what has he done that would cause our affections to be stirred in our worship of him? Well, we're reminded of those things. The first thing we see in this passage is that we can have confidence we can have confidence. Now, why could we have confidence? This is talking about confidence with God. Why might you and I, sinful people, have confidence before God? Well, we have confidence because of the blood of Jesus. We have confidence that we might be able to enter into God's presence, that we might be able to lift up songs of praise and he would receive them, that we might be able to pray prayers of need and he might listen to them, that we might open the word and hear his word for us today. We have this confidence to draw near to God because of what Jesus has done for us. When it mentions here his blood, it is talking about his death. And of course, it was on the cross that Jesus died to take the penalty for our sins. You and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty that our sins deserve so that we might have access to God. We have confidence before God because of the blood of Jesus. He continues, 
Jesus' blood opened up a new and a living way. Now, in, in what sense is this way new that Jesus opened up, the way to God for us humans? In what way is it new? Well, by saying new, he is here referring to the new work that has happened on the other side of the cross. See, before Jesus came, lived, died, and rose from the dead, before all of that happened, there was an Old Testament, Old Covenant era. And in that Old Testament, Old Covenant era, the presence of God was represented among his people in the temple, particularly in the Holy of Holy areas. And in that Holy of Holy area, only one person, the high priest, could visit on behalf of the people, and he could only visit the Holy of Holies on one day of the year. That was the, the Old Covenant way, the Old Testament way. But Christ has come to do something new, and the rest of the book of Hebrews will tell us not only new, but also better. How has Jesus opened up a new and better way? Well, he's done so by dying on the cross for our sins so that all who are in Christ, not just one, but all who are in Christ might have access to God, not one day a year, but every day, every moment. We might not just visit God, we might be able to dwell with him. That is remarkable, friends. It's a new way. But not only is it new, it's also a living way. A living way. It's a living way because Jesus, after dying on the cross, did not stay dead. On the third day, he did what? He rose again. And where is Jesus now? Jesus now is in heaven. And what is he doing right now in heaven? He's not just retired. He's at work. What is Jesus doing in heaven right now? He is serving as our high priest. He is standing before God. And he is talking to God the Father about us. We see this in Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, that is a remarkable, remarkable statement. Right now, in the throne room of heaven, there is one who is advocating for you before his heavenly Father. That is Jesus. If you have ever wondered, do, do I really have access to God? Yes. How do you know that? How can you have confidence that you have access to God? Because God the Son who came and bled and died for you and rose on the third day accomplishing God's will stands before the heavenly Father saying that you are with him. Therefore, you have access to the very presence of our heavenly Father. That is a remarkable statement. We might think of it this way. You, you think about a situation where you're invited to a party at a very important place and you show up and, and they've never seen you before. They might look at you and go, what, what, what are you doing here? Are you really supposed to be here at this party? Well, well if, if you showed up at a, at a venue and they stopped you at the door, what if the owner of the house came and said, no, 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 they're welcome. They're with me. What would happen? Suddenly the door would be thrown wide open and you would be able to go in and enjoy the fellowship of the party. In the same way, friends, Jesus came and died for us, and now he stands making intercession for you before our heavenly Father. Why do we have confidence that we can have access to God? It's because of what Jesus did and because of what he is continuing to do right now in the very presence of God. We are not forgotten. We are known and we are invited 
Not only do we see this, but he continues and he talks about how our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. There is forgiveness. There is cleansing. There, we have been washed. We are a new creation in Christ. So that just as he was raised from the dead, so too we might have the hope of walking about in newness of life. Again, to reiterate, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, talking of that old way, that old covenant, it says that in that old covenant, into the second, the holy of holies place, only the high priest was able to go, and he but once a year, and not without taking the blood of animals, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. This was the old way, but Jesus has come to establish a better way. We can have confidence that we have access to God because of what Jesus has done for us. Friends, I, I love praying for you as your pastor. I love doing that. It's, it's an honor and it is a privilege to pray for you. But here's a great reminder. I have no more direct access to God than you do. Because of what Jesus has done for us, he made access not just for me to God, but for you to God as well. That means that we have the opportunity to, to walk into his presence. We pray together in order to share the burden, but not because I have access to God and you do not. Jesus has made a new and living way. He is standing in heaven saying, they are with me, inviting us to come near to him. We have confidence because of this. Now, not only do we have this confidence, because of this confidence, let us draw near, the writer of Hebrews said, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. By faith that we would believe that we have this access to God because of what Jesus has done for us. If you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have access to God. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? If we really believed it, why in the world would we not draw near to him? I don't mean just on Sundays. I mean, every moment of our lives, why would we hang on to our anxieties if we could bring them to the one who could do something about them? Why would we hang on to our questions when we could ask them to the one that has all the answers? Why would we live alone when we have the opportunity to live in fellowship with the God who created us? In light of who Jesus is and what he has done, the author says, by faith, let us believe that so that we might draw near to him. Amen? But not only that we might draw near to him, the author continues to say that we would also hold fast the confession of hope. That we would hold fast this confession of hope. In other words, that we would believe that we in Christ have found our hope. We have found the truth. We have found the life. And we are going to hang on to him and not trade him in for something else. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament in Ephesians 5, marriage is compared to the relationship between Christ and the church. And so I think there's a helpful analogy to help us understand what it means to hold fast the confession of our hope. See, when you get married, among other things, one of the things you are saying is, I'm, I'm done dating. Not dating your spouse. This is not some comment like, I mean, you're done dating other people. At the very least, that's what it means. That you have settled on the one that you're going to share life with. That you're going to share joy in a way that you don't share those things with anybody else. You're going to share them with your spouse. You're done playing the field. 
because you have found the one that you will be with. Friends, in a similar way, what is being said here is that when we have found our hope, why would we keep shopping for hope among the religions of the world? Why would we keep shopping for hope among any and all other pursuits? We found it, and we found it in Christ, so let's hang on to it. Let's hold fast to it and keep coming to him. So we have seen here in these verses that that one of the reasons why we gather is it's an expression of us drawing near and holding fast to Jesus. He has done so much for us. He is so worthy of our attention, focus, and adoration. We have found it, so let's hold on to our confession of hope and stay with him as we draw near to him together, looking to his word, singing his praises, praying to him in dependence. But there's another thing mentioned in this passage. Not just that we would draw near and hold fast to Jesus in a vertical way, but also there is a horizontal component. There is a horizontal component. And this should not come as a surprise to us. When asked what the greatest commandment was, what did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said there's a second commandment like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said it that way because we cannot separate the two. When we are loving the Lord our God, grab my microphone, rip it off my head. We are loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What it will lead us to is loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so a second thing we need to see from these verses is this. We are to congregate, to agitate, not just to educate. Congregate to agitate, not just to educate. We are to congregate. We are to gather together as the people of God regularly. We'll see why here in just a moment, but we are called to have a corporate expression of our faith, not just an individualized expression of our faith, not just me and Jesus at home, but we are going to gather together with other believers as an expression of our faith. We are going to congregate. And what is our purpose as we congregate? Well, it certainly has an educational component. The truth is central. We're going to open God's word. We're going to read it because we need his direction. We need his truth. Our songs will be pointing us to the same truth. So there is an educational component. There is an informational component. But we gather not just so that our minds might be filled or our minds might be tickled a little bit. We actually gather for the purpose of agitating one another. Now, what do I mean by agitating? It sounds, it's kind of a negative word, isn't it? But it's encouraging us to not get stuck. I love this old Rich Mullen song. He says, sometimes God takes the whole world by the corners and shakes us forward and shakes us free. It's a great picture. You know, like when you make the bed, there's a wrinkle in the middle. Sometimes you have to grab both edges of the sheet and just give it a pop so that it smooths out again, shaking it forward, shaking it free. Friends, when we gather, one of the things that we do, if we're gathering the way that God intends us to gather, is that we will be agitating one another to not get stuck, to not get stuck in our old way of life, our old way of thinking, but ultimately to agitate one another to follow Christ in new, fresh, and deeper ways. We are to agitate one another in him. 
Now, where do we see that in these verses? We see that in verse 24 when he says, let us consider how we are to stir up one another to love and good works. What are we to do as we gather? We're to stir up. This word stir up means to, to, to agitate in some way, to, to, to leverage, to push, to irritate, if you will one another towards love and good works. Don't, we're not gathering here just to irritate one another for irritation's sake. We are to gather together for the purpose of spurring one another on to love and to good works. That, that our walk with God might have a deeper, more full expression because of our gatherings together. Not just for our heads, but ultimately for our hands and for our feet. Now, Let's think about this for a moment. If we're called to, to, to spur one another on or to stir up one another to love and good works, and we're to consider how to do that, let's think about how we might spur on one another to love and good works. Well, one of the ways that happens is by praying for those that we see. Praying for those that we see. See, when, when you came in today, there were a lot of other people around you. Right? There, there's probably 400 of you in this room right now. You, did you know that? I mean, you kind of do, but they're actual people with faces and lives and stories. God's doing things in their lives, and, and they've gathered all around you. For some, they, they might be beginning to walk with him for the first time or just exploring the claims of Christ. For others, they, they're ready to take another deeper step. For others, they're going through a tremendous heartache and loss, and they've all gathered around you. Did you see them when you came in? One of the beauties of gathering together and congregating together is we see the faces of others so that we might know their stories, so that we might be reminded and encouraged to pray for them. One of the things that happens when we congregate together is we are reminded to pray for one another. You know, I, I love the, the benefit and the blessing of the live stream. It's, it's great. But you know what? There's a big problem with live streams. Big problem with it. All you see is those of us on the stage. That's it. And yet when we are truly a part of the body, we're a part of a group of many others that we would see their faces, that we would be reminded and encouraged to pray for them as well. Now, I, I wanna do something interesting. I wanna just pause for a moment and I want us to take a second to just pray for one another. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around. Just look around the room. It's a little awkward, a little weird. You don't have to make eye contact. Look at their chin. It's easier. Um, just look around, you know, see somebody around you. Now, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to, for the next 15 seconds, I want you to pray for that person. You may know nothing about what's going on in their lives, but somebody you saw, I want you to take just 10, 15 seconds. Just pray for them that their expression of love and good deeds would increase in the days ahead. So take a moment just to pray for them. Amen. So one of the things that we do as we consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, we gather and we see each other and we pray for one another. A second thing, though, is that we are able to provide an example for those who are in our community. One of the things that happens when we gather is we, we, we get to experience those around us and see their example of faith. You know, one of the things that God calls us to be is hospitable. 
And when we gather together, we might see somebody on the road down from us or behind us, see someone new and and engage with them, say hello to them, maybe even invite them over for lunch or out for lunch today. When you see that, what happens? What stirs up in your heart and in your soul? Well, we, we are reminded of the opportunity we have to be hospitable. Their example has spurred us on to love and good deeds. And, and it might not be that. It might be that just seeing someone, they, they, they seem like they're going through a difficult time, just taking a moment to pause and to come alongside and to pray for them. Just an opportunity for us as we gather to be an example to one another so that it might spur on those around us. Wow, we can, we can do that? We can pray for those and listen to those who are struggling and going through things. Wow, it's an example for us. We, we, we see those who are, are giving generously in different ways, and, and it inspires us to give in different ways. See, one of the reasons why we gather is not just to pray, but also to provide an example for those in our community. A third thing, we're able to give encouragement to others. What is encouragement? Encouragement is, is encouraging someone else. Courage that you have, being able to share it with others so that they can carry on another day. As we gather together, God will use the way that you are gifted, the relationships and the people around you. He will use you to infuse life and courage to them in the midst of their struggle. You'll be able to share perspective that you have because you're not in the midst of the throes of the pain that they're going through. You can share that perspective with others. And you can just demonstrate the very presence of God. How do we know that God is with us and we're not alone? Look around. The body of Christ is around us. How do we know that God cares about our struggles? Because we, as the body of Christ, are able to care for the struggles of those around us. See, friends, when we consider how we might stir up to one, uh, one another to love and good deeds, there are so many ways that we can do it. Now, I want to just encourage you this way. You know, all of us want these in our lives, right? We, we all want this for us. But the emphasis of the passage is not come to receive these things, though that's certainly implied. It's to come and to be these things. To be the one who can pray for those that you see. To be the one who is providing an example. To be the one who is encouraging others and sharing perspective and demonstrating the presence of God by showing up in times of need and in times of celebration. See, friends, we stir up one another through our presence in many, many different ways. He goes on and he makes this statement. He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Apparently, there were those in the first century who were stopping meeting together, congregating to agitate with other believers. Now, what's happening there? Well, first of all, I think it's interesting. This is 2,000 years ago. You know, right now, there's a phenomena in the church in the United States where a number of people are de-churching. That's a, that's a term that is being shared often right now. There are people who are de-churching. They're saying, I'm with Jesus, but I'm not going to be with his people in a local congregation. Well, friends, that idea is not new to 2023-24. Apparently, all the way back in the first century, there were those that wanted to say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not, just going, I'm not going to affiliate with a local group of believers. 
Why were they doing it in the first century? It's possible because of persecution. Later on in chapter 10, he's going to talk about the persecution that they were experiencing. And it's possible that some in the first century were saying, I'm connected to God in Christ, but I'm not going to connect with his people because when I connect with his people, it might lead to my house getting burned, or I might lose my job, or I might even lose my life. And so I'm I'm not going to connect corporately. I'm just going to be privately connected to Christ. It's possible that that's the reason why they were neglecting to meet together, or it might be something else. But whatever the reason, they were called to not neglect meeting together. They were were, were called to to physically congregate. So if if this is something that that we are not to do, we we need to to pause and ask the question, well, well, why are we not to do that? And and what kind of a perspective would, would help us with this? Well, it's interesting, he ends this verse by saying that we are to do this all the more as we see the day drawing near. The day of what? The day of Christ's return. Now, what will happen at Christ's return, friends? We will be gathered together to be with him. And we will not be gathered together to be with him alone. We will be gathered to be with him with other believers. Not just those in this room, but all who call upon the name of Christ. We'll be gathered together to meet with him. And if that is our future, then that is our true identity. And so we're called to represent that identity as we gather together as the people of God. And so let's think for a moment about this neglecting of meeting together. Kent Hughes makes this statement. He says, it is true that a person does not have to go to church to be a Christian. He does not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if he does not, he will have a very poor relationship. We are called to congregate, to agitate. But why would we not do that? Why would we not gather? Well, few reasons why. In our world today, we could make this list longer, but these are at least some of the reasons why. The first is a reason of priority. We don't gather because we're just so busy There's so many other things to do that keep us from gathering together as the people of God. Or we're just out of rhythm. We used to gather with the people of God, but then something disrupted that. And since that disruption, we've not been able to reprioritize gathering among the people of God regularly for worship. So it's an issue of priority. And if this is where you find yourself today, just a question to ask, have we properly prioritized what is truly most important to us? We do the things that are most important to us. Have we properly prioritized? If we say that Christ is our all in all, have we properly prioritized gathering to lift his name up together with his people in our time, in our schedule? Second reason why people don't gather is because of pain. It's because of pain. Sometimes this pain expresses itself physically. Physically cannot attend. I have tremendous compassion for those. I I know those. There are some who are watching right now. I, I know that you would love to be here if you possibly could, but you can't because of a physical infirmity. And so in that moment, if, if you, you find yourself in that moment, you might not be able to attend because of a physical challenge. Or you might not be able to tend because of an emotional 
challenge. It might be a church hurt experience that you had in the past that prevents you from gathering with God's people today because of you're struggling with that. Or it could be because you're just dealing with such a difficult issue that it's hard to, to face others and gather with them. It could be an issue of pain. And if these are things that you're struggling with, a question to ask, are you getting the help you need? If it is a, a temporary situation, are you getting the help you need so that you can resume gathering together with God's people, whether that's emotional help or whether that is physical help? And for all, are you doing what you can? If you can't physically be present, the live stream is a wonderful alternative. If you can physically be present, are you doing what you can to prioritize being here? Sometimes we don't gather because of pain. Third category is sometimes we don't gather because of preference, because of preference. Sometimes we don't gather because we have become a critic of the church. We critique the form more than we adore the Savior. I won't go to church because I haven't found a church that does it the way I like it the best. If this is the case, then I would just ask this question. Maybe. There we go. What is your focus when you worship? The perfect Savior or the imperfect form? A fourth category is the issue of, of your person, of your person. Sometimes we don't gather because we think that church is something we attend. We, we go if we're able. Church is something that we attend, not an expression of our identity. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I go to, I go to Robinson Reunions. Why? Because I'm a Robinson. Why do I go to church? Because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be among his people. It's an expression of our person, who we are. How can you remember your identity in Christ? This is where personal devotion, this is where time in prayer, this is meditating on your identity in Christ makes a big difference in terms of your connection on Sundays. So with all of these things in mind, remembering why we might step away from our excuses to not gather and gather together with God's people, let's conclude quickly by talking about how we might prioritize our gathering. First thing I would say is put it on your calendar. Seriously, do it. Make a recurring event for the next 52 weeks. If you're going to come to the 945 service, put it in your calendar at 945. If you need to set a reminder 30 minutes prior, because it takes you that long to get here, set a reminder so that you might be reminded that you're coming to worship on, on Sundays. Put it on your calendar. The things that matter to us show up in our calendars. Second thing, prepare for Sunday. As you think of getting ready for the weekend, spend some time Saturday. Kevin Cho, what, is, what do we say? Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. So that on Saturday evenings, you might spend some time praying to the Lord and just saying to him, Lord, how might you use me to be an encouragement to others to agitate them tomorrow for your good works and purpose? And the third thing, participate when present. When you show up here on Sundays, it's not just to fill a seat, but it's also to be a blessing to others. Participate when you're here. Friends, what we have seen is that we congregate to agitate, not just to educate. And these are reasons why we gather. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just the opportunity to open your word and study it today, to be challenged by it, that we might be people who 
gather together regularly in your name, that don't forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but that we might come together to be a blessing, to honor you, to draw near to you, but to be a blessing to others. We thank you. And we pray now that you would just guide us as we respond in song together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.